So it's this interesting dichotomy this time of year when it comes to college basketball. And it's probably more prevalent on the men's side than the women's side. And the women's game has gotten more parity-based in recent years than in prior years, where it was just Tennessee, then UConn in Tennessee, and then just UConn dominating. And for a period of time, I think that was good for women's basketball, but it ultimately it's created an era now where talent is more distributed, more fan bases feel invested. The NCAA men's basketball landscape, though, they've been in that realm for years now, decades at this point. And one of the reasons has been since 2005, when the one-and-done rule came into effect, the rule that a lot of people bemoan, only twice have teams that are loaded up on your one-and-done surefire, we'll use air quotes, but surefire NBA lottery picks, top 15 selections, top 14 to be technical then you've got, because of that, teams that go for the best talent don't have the experience factor that's often needed to navigate the murky waters of March. And why that's relevant to the fast lane today is we're in a spot where we have a pretty good idea of the identity of teams in college basketball right now. But because, and I think you could argue this is what makes March Madness awesome, but because it's a one-game scenario... Winner take all. It's not a best two out of three like baseball's initial series, best three out of five like their divisional round, or best four out of seven like the conference championship in the World Series in baseball and every series in the NBA and NHL playoffs. Because of that, the element of variance is greater, which makes it more interesting, and it also means that a lot of what we're saying about teams' identities right now is to be taken with a grain of salt. Because on your best day, you could get the best version of a team that has its fair share of warts. And on the flip side, you could have the worst day for a team that's plenty talented and they could be going home early. And there are countless examples of both of those scenarios from you know double-digit seeds making the Final Four to teams like Virginia and Purdue losing as number one overall seeds and plenty more that are second and third seeds in the NCAA men's tournament. That, that, that variance is there. But it doesn't mean you can't have a general concept of who teams are to formulate your understanding of them, their identity, whether you like it, you can't stand it, or whatever the case may be, as we head towards March. And it's what makes it so fascinating. Like, Liberty lost this past Saturday at Sam Houston State. And they fell down from the get-go. I mean, from the get-go. 18-2. to And Richie McKay, to his ever-loving credit, was willing to come out right out of the shoot and speaking with the media afterwards and taking ownership of that loss. It takes a lot to, to come back when you dig such a big hole. And uh, credit to Sam Houston. They, they did a terrific job. Really punched us in the mouth the... Uh, uh, I, I own that one. That's the second game that we've had in a week's prep that uh, we, we just we didn't. Jack State was the other one. We didn't we didn't start like we needed to, uh, and and we played on our heels for probably the first thirty minutes of the game. Now, in fear of, of criticizing how Richie McKay did not have Liberty prepared for that game against Sam Houston State and how it's the second time in Conference USA play that that issue has popped up, they didn't quit and they at least came back to fight and make it. A seven-point game at a couple junctures down the stretch. Proud of our group's uh, effort. Like they won't give up. Uh, I think. Uh, I think this team has a chance to do some special things. So, uh, but yeah, that, Sam Houston was uh, was much more the aggressor. 
got it to the the rim and uh, and to the line in the in the first half. And obviously that was their intent, and they did a great job of doing it. Have a chance to do some special things. I mean, at this juncture of the year, you, you kind of know it if you're a Liberty fan, and you've seen enough of this team to know that uh, I, we've seen them on their best nights where. You know, they beat Middle Tennessee. They had the comeback from down nine at home to Louisiana Tech, where there are they beaten Vermont as well in non-conference play. Vermont's perennially a team out of the American East that wins that conference and makes it to the NCAA tournament. So, you know, I, I don't dispute what Richie McKay is saying, but you also, I think, have to be reasonable and take that with a grain of salt. And here's why: the margin for error is just more thin for certain teams, particularly the defensive-focused slow down the pace teams like Liberty and more in a moment on the other one, the Virginia Cavaliers. And therefore, there are only so many things you can throw at a different team. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier in the week with the Virginia Tech women's basketball team, the Lady Hokies, how there's so many different ways that they can beat a team. And it's why they deserve to be mentioned as a team that is a threat to make a deep march run. Why, even though the metrics don't love North Carolina, how I clearly see a path because they've had good defensive games. They've had great games where they've shotted. They've been aggressive and driven to the rim. It doesn't look like they put it all together every game, but there are enough ingredients this late in the year to at least know those things are there for a team like North Carolina. And that's where, if you're Liberty, falling down behind like they did to Sam Houston State and like they cannot afford to do at any point going forward, starting tonight at FIU for that 7 o'clock tip down in essentially Miami, but it's the concept that they tried to adjust in-game to what Sam Houston State did, but there was only so much that Liberty could do to make those adjustments and for it to have an impact on the outcome of the game. I mean, we tried. Uh, we tried. You can make some more shots. You can uh, be a little better defensively. But uh, like games, you, you can't you can't control how the game goes. The, the game is the game, and sometimes teams get hot and guys make shots, and we're not as good defensively. And uh 16 of our 26 games maybe we've been the ones that uh, did better than the uh than the other squad executed better so uh yeah i mean we we tried we tried to make some in-game adjustments so i'll brush back a smidge and say in terms of can't control how the game goes i mean you can't control if good looks fall in certainly if you're liberty and richie mckay has brought that up numerous times but there are things you can do to try to control the tempo of the game and look no further than virginia where when they control the flow of the game, it can be ugly and it can make good, talented teams look ugly. Wake Forest is a great example of this. Wahoos held them to 47 points this past weekend at John Paul Jones Arena. I was there. It was an offensive struggle because neither team got to 50. But for Virginia, when they don't control a game, oh, it can get ugly really quickly because they don't have the offense to bail them out. And so going back to Liberty and looking at their loss to Sam Houston State and what it means tonight against Florida International, it is not overstating things to say it's absolutely imperative for Liberty right now to try to do something they couldn't do against Sam Houston State, which is not worrying about whether shots go in. You get good looks, you take them, you have to be comfortable doing that. But actually establishing control over the flow of the game. They were 50% from the three-point line with some... Uh, some of their shooting, like they, they made it hard for us. They they did a good job in clogging up the paint and uh, uh, tried to lock on uh, Zach Cleveland. And uh, yeah, so they they had a good scheme. And uh, it's not a scheme that we haven't seen. They just did a better job of uh, affecting the outcome than we did. 
Sam Houston State doing a better job of affecting the outcome of the game than Liberty did. Well, part of that's because Sam Houston State came out, and again, Richie Makato's ever-loving credit like a good leader would do, mentioned that it's on him to have the team ready so that they don't fall down 18-2 to in the early going and they spend the rest of the game playing catch-up. But it also highlights the fact that there's not a lot of margin for error for a team like Liberty. And let's be honest, any team in college basketball, this is not NBA where runs like this happen regularly, um, but any team in college basketball, if you make it a habit of spotting the other team 16 points as far as margin goes early in the game, you're not going to win very many, and you're sure not going to make a lot of noise in March. But for Liberty, it is imperative for them to control the flow because it goes back to a point that we mentioned previous times. By and large, there's no quit in this team. Even when they were down, they kept fighting. That's an attribute for Liberty, and it's, I don't think it's understating that because there are spots where when a team gets down, that mental confidence can waver and be shaken. Virginia at Virginia Tech, heck, Pitt, who's been on a roll lately, they got clobbered at Wake Forest this past Tuesday, and it's that snowball effect. It takes a major amount of mental strength and courage to battle through that. But you still also have to have the horses to be able to get the job done. And for Liberty, they're not the most athletic team. And they are short in the backcourt with two guards that are under six feet tall. And because of that, while those two guards under six feet are very well built and they play tough, at some point there is just the the law of height that they're going against guys that are taller than six feet. And if those guys get a clean release and Liberty's guys get a clean release and both guys jump to the best of their ability... There's only so much Liberty can do on a lot of those shots, either around the rim or from deep. And that has been an issue. So for Liberty, you got to control the pace of the game. You have to control what you can, which is coming out aggressive early. It is coming out attacking on offense and being dialed in defensively. And Liberty, they were none of that at Sam Houston State. And I mean, at this point, for a veteran-laden team like Liberty, I would be shocked if that message is not just been reinforced in practice this week But in addition to being reinforced in practice, it's not just the coaches who are driving that point home. It's a roster in Liberty that has a veteran group of players. And if you say you trust in the other person beside you, then it needs to show with a sense of urgency, which I don't think I'm being undue here, but I would expect in the Liberty fans more so. I'm not a fan uh, in the same sense that you are. I'm a fan of every team of Virginia doing well because it gives us more content. I'm not in, I went to Liberty or I have kids who go there or work there or anything else. But from a neutral observer standpoint, for me, other than, hey, I want the local teams to do well so we've got good content. You know, if I'm a Liberty fan, I think it's un- it's not unreasonable to expect that this evening. More on this theme, by the way, of teams controlling what they can control and the fine line for certain teams compared to others. Because when you lack the high upside talent and the explosive offensive capabilities to bail you out when your defense is struggling, it means you've got to be dialed in mentally offensively, but also with maximum effort defensively. And Liberty's not the only example of that. The Virginia Cavaliers are clearly an example as we saw the compare and contrast of when they're dialed in on both ends of the floor versus not, from Saturday's win against Wake Forest, ugly as it was, to Sunday's, even uglier for Virginia fans, blowout loss in Castle Coliseum to Trey's Virginia Tech Hokies. More on that, by the way, 545 today in the fast lane after we catch up with, another shout out to Trey, his FrenchStretch.com colleague, Stephen Stumpf who will be back with us once again in the fast lane because Steven was at Daytona and he will be at Atlanta 
this coming weekend and can give us perspective on both of those races. Speaking of NASCAR, by the way, NASCAR broadcasts, NASCAR events, we will have some of your thoughts that are coming in now at Fastlane Nedlane Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, keep them coming as well to Trey Lyle VT on the socials. But speaking of NASCAR broadcasts, a former NASCAR broadcaster is also a former broadcaster in another gig. And we'll get to that momentarily in the Fast Five at Five-ish. But if you want to make sure those calories are former calories, not calories that are still sticking to you, you need calories, of course, to keep yourself going. But all that unwanted load from calories, that's why you need those Crosswide Athletic Club three-month memberships that are at InsaneRadioDeals.com. Plus, food specials. you got to treat yourself sometimes, too. Sequest of Lynchburg Experiences, Lynchburg Hillcats, general admission or reserve seats with those $10 food vouchers. They are already back at InsaneRadioDeals.com, so go ahead and start thinking about which game you would like to attend. Now, to pay off that tease we had about former NASCAR broadcasters being former broadcasters in other capacities... It's what we begin right now discussing in the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. Do you call it going scorched earth with this type of commentary? Because Eli Gold, former Motor Racing Network broadcaster, and now former Alabama Crimson Tide broadcaster after 35 years will not return as the broadcaster at Alabama. And Gold told AL.com something that is revelatory in a number of ways about the state of the broadcasting industry. More on that momentarily. But Gold told AL.com quote, well the university has chosen not to bring me back. Well, okay, go ahead and let us know that this was not your decision, that it was theirs. But Eli Gold continued saying, quote, This is not, with a capital N-O-T, not at all health-related. Gold kept saying about losing his job as the voice of the Alabama Crimson Tide, quote, I am very healthy. Everything is wonderful. I am as healthy as a horse, end quote. So here's the thing about Eli Gold losing his job. If you look at the dynamic of sports media in general, we've seen this with news casters in a lot of cases. And look, we've had plenty of them on from WSET's Dave Walls to the folks at WFXR like Jermaine Farrell or Eric Johnson of WSLS10. And they do a fantastic amount of work. But you can also look at the trends of people that have left some of these jobs for sports broadcasting on TV in our area, much like... You can look at the departure of a lot of iconic broadcasters when it comes to play-by-play of schools. And there are a couple things that stand out about this. One of which is, it's going younger, which is code for cheaper. Because very rarely do people age, they incur spouses, kids, an increase in their lifestyle, and very rarely do they need less money to go backwards. Instead, they want as many dollar, dollar bills, y'all, as they possibly can get. Well, the model seems to be, just from a, again, an economic business model, but it looks like the model, by and large, for sports broadcasting jobs and in TV, play-by-play and elsewhere, is keeping the costs low. And, I mean, again, we've seen plenty of other great broadcasters that are out there, but 
there's some iconic ones that are no longer broadcasting at their particular schools. I mean, God rest his soul, Woody Durham at North Carolina, and I think Jones Angel has done a great job replacing him. But Eli Gold is no longer the voice of Alabama. We've seen other turnover at certain SEC institutions, and there's one company, we happen to partner with them to carry Virginia Tech games as well, but there's a certain company, if you look at the profile of who they often hire, it's young people in their early 20s to start out broadcasting you know, women's basketball, sports like softball and baseball, and they can do a great job. But then they graduate into other roles of broadcasting play-by-play, but the sound of those broadcasters is not as distinct as it was years ago. Doesn't mean it's not better. In fact, I think in a lot of cases, it actually is more descriptive than ever before, but it's also more cookie-cutter sounding, and I think to a degree, that's what these companies want, because if they all sound the same, then there's no distinction, so the school does not feel the bond to a broadcaster the way that, let's just in this case say, Alabama and Eli Gold have been paired together. And because there's not that type of bond, the, the broadcaster is more easily replaceable. So if the broadcaster tries to command a higher salary at some point, the employer can come back and say, you are more replaceable. We're going to move on. I mean, TV is another example, not just on the local level, but look at the departure of a lot of anchors on television when it comes to news anchors in general. Uh, again, you could argue that the quality is eroded sports or otherwise, but the departure of guys like a Kenny Mayne or a Trey Wingo or others, as professional and skilled as they were, there's the idea that they need to move on to other things. Heck, Rich Eisen, who does the NFL Network gig, he also has a sports radio show. He's got a podcast. He does plenty of other things. You need to be more multifaceted than ever to take on that role. Speaking of broadcasters, but much less uh, expanding upon. Number four. In what may be a shocking move to some, Masson, the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network, they are bringing back Baltimore Orioles TV broadcast crew members, including Kevin Brown, the lead play-by-play announcer for the Orioles, who will return this season and is under contract with Masson through the end of the year. Of course, this may be a topic covering coming up soon in another Foul Ball Area podcast with uh, Trey Lyle and company, but... I am a bit surprised by this, if only because not just the fact that plenty of networks are looking for, you know, where's the cheapest option in terms of an announcer, but first of all, the Baltimore Orioles have always kind of gone that route. But second of all, remember, this is an organization that got in trouble or that that, they got upset with the announcer for merely stating that they had previously struggled at Tampa Bay. Never mind, he spun it in a very positive direction. Um, So I'm a bit surprised Baltimore didn't use that as an opportunity to cut the cord with Kevin Brown, but instead bringing him back for another year. Number three. Speaking of baseball in our nation's capital, literally in this case, not just around it, but the Lerner family are no longer planning to sell the Washington Nationals. As Nationals principal managing owner Mark Lerner has said, quote, we've just decided that it's not the time or place for it. We're very happy owning the team, end quote. Um, that's all the statement is. Let's not kid ourselves. I know they may think that we're not very intelligent, but to answer the question from our friends, the Three Stooges, are you that dumb? I'd like to think the answer is absolutely not. Are you buying what the Lerner family is saying? Or is it rejected? As our friends from the hair gel commercial back in the day would like to remind us. I'm rejecting that completely. 
If anything, it's because, here comes another sound clip, by the way, the Washington Nationals owners, the Lerner family, did not get enough dollar, dollar bills, y'all. And because they didn't get enough dollar, dollar bills, y'all. That's why they've decided it's not the time or place to sell the Nationals. And by the way, if I'm a fan of this franchise, I am rightfully upset because of all the cost-cutting measures they have undertaken ever since they won the World Series a couple of years ago by allowing guys like Bryce Harper or Anthony Rendon or Trey Turner or others to all depart. All these stars left. They didn't bring them back, presumably, to keep the payroll payroll lower. And now they're no longer selling, at least for now. If I'm a fan, it is extremely discouraging. Number two. News out of the University of North Carolina. No, there are not any new developments that we have right now in the situation that's involved. Former LCA star Zach Rice. We did cover that Tuesday in the Fast Lane, and we'll discuss it more tomorrow with Andrew Jones of Tar Heel Illustrated, whatever extra news on this situation is out there. But North Carolina, they are exploring renovations to the Dean Smith Center, the men's basketball arena, and are supposedly open to a new building. Um, I kind of wonder if you're talking about Bubba Cunningham and the North Carolina Brass. As the Carolina Athletic Director has said, quote, they have, quote, commissioned a working group to explore renovation options in addition to considering the possibility of a new arena, end quote. If some of that is because there may be a lot of Carolina fans out there that feel that emotional connection to the Smith Center and the fact that it's housed a number of really good Carolina teams. And I've been there before. I don't put it nearly on the level of Cameron at Duke or Fog Allen at Kansas or other places that are iconic. And, you know, in recent years, I haven't been there. But during the time there, it never struck me as state-of-the-art the way that the arena where NC State plays or certainly John Paul Jones Arena are, nor is it you know, quaint like Castle and Blacksburg. It, it more has the feel of Lawrence Stoll Veterans Memorial where Wake Forest will play, which is it's good, it's serviceable, but it doesn't seem to have all the modern amenities. And so the idea of Carolina either renovating the Smith Center or finding a replacement, it would seem more likely that the either-or option is to stir up some level of sentiment within the Carolina fan base to put the money out there dollar dollar bills y'all so that they can actually make the renovations possible to the smith center and truthfully a lot of these type of venues do need those it's less urgent than ever before because paying players players would rather just get the money themselves than have it go into fancy facilities if especially if you know it's not for their own benefit but it's the truth of the matter right now and for carolina if i had to just guess on it and this is just a sheer guess it's not like you can bet on this anywhere to my knowledge But the Smith Center renovation seems more likely than finding a replacement venue for that. And number one on the Fast Five at five-ish. So here's what's interesting about the news yesterday. The college football playoff presidents and their puppeteer, if you will, or their puppet, uh, Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff, who really acts in the best interest of the conference commissioners, who act in the best interest of the school presidents. But the, the college football powers that be adopted the long-expected move from six automatic qualifiers and six at-larges to five automatic qualifiers and seven at-large teams for the upcoming 12-team playoff. Essentially, that move was done because the Pac-12 has ceased to exist other than in name only with two members of Washington State and Oregon State. But that, that that's the direction this thing appears to be headed, at least for 2024 and 2025, where the at-large spots would grow 
and the automatic qualifiers would decrease. So what you're basically looking at is an automatic qualifier from the SEC, the Big 12, the Big 10, and the Atlantic Coast Conference. Conference champions from there, they are automatically in. Plus, the highest finishing group of five champion. Liberty would have been that this past year. If JMU were ball eligible, maybe they would have been that over Liberty. But either way, it, it was potentially one of those teams. So they'll have a chance in the future to still get into this new playoff. But here's what's fascinating. What also came out yesterday is the idea of a 14-team college football playoff has been seriously discussed by the management committee at those meetings. Now, it would begin in 2026, and quote, I love this part, by the way, nothing is imminent, end quote, but multiple outlets are reporting this, and it would allow six non-SEC Big Ten teams to join an eight-team SEC Big Ten field in the playoffs. By the six non-SEC Big Ten teams, you're looking at the ACC, the Big 12, as well as a couple of at-large spots that could go to any of those. Realistically, it's still going to go to the best teams in the ACC and the Big 12, maybe Notre Dame, maybe a group of five team or two. But we have tried to warn you that this was going to come so often in the fast lane. I cannot tell you how much feedback has come in at fast lane, Ed Lane, on social media platforms. But we got to address this now, not after Stephen Stumpf of FrenchStretch.com uh, when we get to that around 545 today, your feedback. We got to address this one right now. We've warned you so often that the reason they are expanding is you can sell hopium, that drug that many fan bases crave, to more fan bases out there. Hey, you've got a chance to be a part of this event. Doesn't mean you're going to win it, but you have a chance to be a part of it. And if you expand the field, even if the cost per game may go down, the overall payout to the schools for what they get in a college football season will increase by going from four teams to eight to 12. They're already kicking around 14. Again, this is going to happen whether you like it or not. I don't know how often I have to say this till I'm blue in the face. It's like talking to my kids and sometimes you're just saying the same thing again and again and it doesn't feel like it's going through. They're going to get to 16 at some point. Whether you like it or not, they're going to get there because there is more, in the immortal words of Kenny Powers, dollar, dollar bills, y'all, to go around. And there is your Fast Five at five -ish. When we return in the Fast Lane, speaking of the immortal phrase, dollar, dollar bills, y'all, we'll discuss the moving billboards that are known as NASCAR vehicles. With Stephen Stump of FrontStretch.com, that next here in the Fast Lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.